In this presidential election, we have heard nearly nothing close to a real conversation on the concern for the environment. From energy to climate change, how do all four candidates hold environmental responsibility and what are their platforms for environmental leadership? We'll find out today, the 2016 presidential election. Voting for the environment is our focus in this hour of an organic conversation, your show on everything that makes life worth living. I am Helge Helberg. This has been a very sad and embarrassing election and political debate leading up to it. With all the anger, viciousness and vulgar language, it is not just sad for this country and that this is the best we can do in this election and that we have not come up with a better format to guarantee a quality exchange and conversation. It is also sad for many other critical topics that are falling to the wayside, such as people, the next generation, community issues, and of course, the environment. Today, we will hear from someone who has spoken with all four candidates about each candidate's take on the environment and what their idea of environmental stewardship in detail would actually look like. The 2016 presidential election, voting for the environment today. All that and more is coming up in just a minute here on An Organic Conversation. And this show is brought to you by Bowman College, a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Become a nutrition consultant or a natural chef at one of the campuses or learn from home in a self-paced mentored distance learning program. For more information on a degree in holistic nutrition or the culinary arts, bowmancollege.org. Thank you also to Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor of organic fruits and vegetables that has been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. From grocery store to company cafeteria, from caterers to personal chefs, anyone can buy from Earl's Organic. Certified organic produce at earlsorganic.com. And Fry Vineyards, America's first organic winery, family owned and operated. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Award-winning wines at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E dot com. The 2016 presidential election, voting for the environment. That's our topic in this hour of an organic conversation. All that coming up in just a minute. Stay tuned. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. 
The 2016 presidential election voting for the environment, that's our topic in this hour here on An Organic Conversation. And I'm now joined by Keith Gaby, Senior Communications Director, Climate, Health and Political Affairs for the Environmental Defense Fund Action. He's joining us today from Arlington, Virginia. Keith, do you have you with us? Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you for making time. I know this is kind of the high time. We are just days away from the election, just a handful of weeks. And I just want to start with framing the show. In, in my 20 years here in the United States, I came from Germany exactly 20 years ago. This has been the most concerning presidential election yet. It's a vote on aggression and personalities entirely, not policies and really ideas. How are you observing this? Are you concerned or do you feel the environment, along with other critical topics, is honored or mostly ignored? Well, uh, I'm very concerned uh, about uh, what's been happening in the election. I'm cautiously optimistic that Americans are going to make the right choice here, but the stakes are so high that you can't help but be nervous. I sometimes uh, make the analogy to playing Russian roulette. You know that you only have a one out of six chance of losing, but if you lose, it's really bad news. I think, as you said, there is an awful lot of aggression in this election, and I think it's mostly on one side. Donald Trump has run a campaign that is scarier than anything I've seen in, in my 30 years in politics. Um, and I think maybe more important than almost any election we've ever had. I, I've, you, you hear this every four years, this is the most important election ever, but most of the time it's not true. I think it might be true here. I can, I can honestly say that I think 1860 and 1864 were more important, but it's hard to think of another one, maybe 1932. Other than that, it's hard to see a time when there was more at stake, both for the environment and for the country as a whole and for the world, frankly. Yes, and I don't want to um, single out a candidate yet. We will hear from your experience talking with all four as it comes to environmental leadership. But I do want to hear from you. What What's most concerning is that we have not come up with a format for candidates to behave other than, you know, schoolyard bullies on, on all sides. This is not, I'm not singling out one candidate or one party. It's shocking to me that we don't, for example, say in a, in a presidential debate that uh, you cannot mention the other person. You actually have to answer the question. Wouldn't that be radical? As it comes to the environment, I don't know if you personally have children, but the next generation and environment and hope and environmental leadership, we are have inherited the, the earth from our fathers, but much more so we are borrowing them, the, the earth from our children. Yep. Uh, how do you work around that right now? Do you have children or in your work? I do. do I, have, you... I have two boys and, uh, you know, it, that is always on my mind when we are talking about this sort of work, this topic, because as you said, you know, it, this is what we leave them. We're, we're passing through and we can either leave the earth better or worse. And in, in many ways over the last 40 years, because of, because of the landmark environmental laws in the United States, things are better. The, the water's cleaner, the air is much cleaner, there's not a heavy cloud of smog hanging over cities. And, and when you hear a candidate railing against the Environmental Protection Agency, you wonder whether he realizes that the reason uh, we've made so much progress Uh, is because of environmental regulations and agencies like the EPA doing their work. But there's so much more to be done. The challenge of climate change, 
first among them. Yeah, um, let's, let's dive into that. You're the Senior Communications Director for the Environmental Defense Fund Action. That's EDF Action. Yep. Uh, that's edfaction.org, the website. Can you explain how that is part or not part of the Environmental Defense Fund, which sure. many people know and are familiar with? Uh, Environmental Defense Fund, or better known as EDF, uh, is a in one of the big environmental groups who work on everything from oceans to climate um, and lots of other things. In, in what way? In, in an educational um, capacity, mostly? We have a legal team that takes the government or companies to court. We have a partnership team that tries to work with companies who are willing to make environmental choices, uh, positive environmental choices. We have a uh, health team that, that just passed some major toxic legislation and tries to get companies to get uh, 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 dangerous chemicals out of products. Our oceans team is trying to stop overfishing and works with fishermen and, and governments to try to limit that. A whole range of sort of uh, working with both the public and private sector. Now, that's all the EDF work. That's separate from a partner organization called EDF Action, um, which works in political advocacy. So we will lobby Congress. We will get involved directly in political campaigns by running ads or sending people mail or telling our 1.5 million members uh, information about the environment. So there's EDF and there's EDF Action, and uh, they do they sort of have complementary roles towards the same goal of environmental protection. And it's really um, because the the nonprofit law is structured then it, that a nonprofit cannot lobby, for example, or not being actively involved. EDF felt like there, it was absolutely necessary, of course, to uh, work directly with political representatives, and right. with that, uh, EDF action was formed to have that arm. Is that, That's is that exactly fair? Right. You, correct? That politics may not be pretty, but it's how you get things done. So leading up to the election, how do you work throughout the years and throughout the year once, some, once somebody is elected, but right now especially, how do you work with candidates in the process of an upcoming election? We don't actually work directly with candidates. What we'll do is we will, um, throughout most of the year before there's an election, we'll work with office holders and try to get them to support legislation we think is better for the environment. And then come election time, we will try to hold them accountable. We'll support them if we think they are going to be positive for the environment, like there's a Senate candidate, Katie McGinty, in Pennsylvania, um, who we've been running ads to support because she's a lifelong environmentalist. Um, and we think she'd be a great voice in Washington. And there's some who've done really poorly in Washington. We run ads attacking them, trying to let uh, voters know, you know, what their record's been, so that they can be a, make an informed choice. So really, f kind of a watchdog group for for all of us that can't right. take, you know, we we can't track really what was promised in detail for every senator and every. Uh, legislative rep uh, representative, you do all that. You keep track of what they promised before they were elected, and then right. again hold them accountable that 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 actually happens that they will keep exactly right. And there's and there are other environmental groups that do the same sort of work. They and we often work in partnership with them. Uh, if if your listeners want to check out the League of Conservation Voters Scorecard, that's another group, but uh, someone a group we work closely with, and they they score every member of Congress based on votes that the environmental community gets together and decides were the most important in the Congress, uh, and you get a percentage score. You know, if you if you did right on all the votes, you get 100%. If you did wrong on all of them, you get zero, and most people are in between somewhere. It must be really interesting to speak with 
all four parties. We are talking the Independent, the Green Party, of course, the Democrats and the Republicans. Where do they stand? How, how much time have you spent in, in recent months to really, I don't want to say grill them, but to really prove their political platform, to really test if their ideas, you know, we have been talking about Trump, he said climate change is a hoax. On the yep. big topics such as climate change, maybe GMO labeling, renewable energy and pipelines, maybe on behalf of Keystone, what is their individual platform? Can we can we pick with one and start with that and really go in detail down that list? Uh, sure. I mean, we, we mostly judge uh, political actors by their actions. I mean, that's They have plenty of time in office uh, to to make clear what they're actually going to do, not just what they're going to, not just what they say. Which and is so difficult it, before they are elected, right? Right. Yeah. 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 And so the the, the lines are pretty clearly defined in the pres at the presidential level. There there are four candidates that are most often talked about. Um, you you and I have both mentioned Trump, who is a serious threat to our environment. He regularly dismisses the value of the EPA and says he wants to dismantle it, um, which would leave uh, the powerful companies who pollute without any consequences for their actions. And he's uh, famously called climate change a hoax on six or seven occasions, although he also occasionally denies having said it, which which only deepens the problem, I think. But he's clearly on record as, as someone who's not going to do anything about this greatest environmental challenge. Secretary Clinton uh, has put forth a a bold clean energy plan, massively increase our solar capacity. Um, and she, as Secretary of State, worked very hard on climate change issues and is very supportive of taking this problem seriously, continuing the Paris Agreement that President Obama uh, brought uh, forth. And um, so there's a stark contrast there. Gary Johnson, the libertarian candidate, um, says he probably thinks climate change is real. He seems to not take the word of the world scientists and NASA and every American, major American scientific organization, but uh, he's clearly somebody who's not going to do anything about it because of the libertarian, non-government uh, interference point of view, and that's a fine point of view for him to have, but it also means if you care about climate change, you've got to recognize he's not going to act on it. And then there's Jill Stein, who I think is at that 1% in the polls. Um, she is supportive of climate action, but um, you know, if you you, you got to understand that she's not going to be elected president. That's not uh, it's not a knock on her. It's just the reality that it's either going to be Trump or Clinton, and uh, you got to make a choice about who you <clears throat> you want to support. So when you with with Secretary Clinton, we have a history of being in office. With Trump, we have a history of uh, being in business. Mm -hmm. That's the record we have to go by. But yep. both candidates have online platforms where they express, in this case, the environmental view. Do you fact check that if their words on stage or in, in public match actually what their policy paper or policy platform suggests? Yeah, well, uh, in Trump's case, there's not very much specificity on his platform. He will sort of wing it and, and throw out comments to the crowd, and then we We've collected those comments and we fact-checked and we put out a, a statement when we came out against his campaign in July. And if you go to edfaction.org, you'll find our statement, uh, which lists some of his um, kind of crazy assertions. And then we, we, we had our scientists check the facts and, 
and put them up there just to make sure everybody understood where he stood. Uh, Secretary Clinton, when she was a senator, has a voting record. It was very um, strongly pro-environment. If you go back to League of Conservation Voters scorecard I mentioned, you can go back to her record uh, in the Senate um, from New York, and you can go vote by vote and look and see how she voted. She has a very high score. So she you know, put her money where her mouth is, so to speak. Uh, Gary Johnson was governor of New Mexico, so you can look at his record there, but his, his statements have been pretty clear on the subject. Uh, uh, Jill Stein uh, hasn't held office, as far as I know, um, but she has, uh, you know, she has spoken extensively on these subjects, and um, uh, so that, you know, you just sort of have to take her at, at her word. Great. Yes, this is an organic conversation, and I'm Helge Helberg. The topic in this hour is the 2016 presidential election voting for the environment, and we are speaking with Keith Gabby, the Senior Communications Director, Climate Health and Political Affairs of the Environmental Defense Fund Action, that's edfaction.org, who's joining us today from Arlington, Virginia. Um, Keith, stay with us. We'll take a quick break, but we do want to hear about GMO labeling, renewable energy, maybe a similar picture Uh, but just for our listeners who are concerned, and we had individual shows on all these topics mm-hmm. of making up their mind what to support in this election and perhaps how to stay on, on top of those topics in the weeks and months following once we selected a new president. This is an kind of conversation. We'll be right back after the break. Stay tuned. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helberg. The 2016 presidential election is our topic, specifically a vote for the environment, as many topics such as the environment have fallen to the wayside in a conversation that was mostly led by anger, viciousness, and vulgar language. We're speaking with an expert on this topic who actually has made the monitoring of political, in this case, environmental action. His career, that's Keith Gabby, Senior Communications Director, Climate Health and Political Affairs of the Environmental Defense Fund Action. Keith, when we when we talk about the other topics, such as GMO labeling, renewable energy, is there is there any surprise? How's GMO labeling faring as a topic that is of concern for so many Americans uh, between the candidates? I, I, I frankly haven't seen it come up in the debate. I think on topics like that, what you need to look for if you don't if you don't see a specific policy, and sometimes uh, those pinpoint policies don't get spelled out in the broad party platforms, is you look who is going to follow good science. We see this all the time in climate change. You've got people who, you know, you've got NASA and every scientific organization saying climate change is real. You've got decades of data on it, it's completely established, and some candidates will commit to following the science and understanding that we need to limit uh, greenhouse gas emissions to get to it on any, something like GMO labeling or any other 
pesticides or any other topic like that, if you have a candidate who's shown a willingness to, to uh, look at the environmental science and follow it, do what the National Academy of Sciences and others have concluded based on evidence, then you've got a, a pretty good shot at finding having someone in office who will protect our health. Um, you know, on the other hand, if you have someone who's dismissive of of scientific reality, you know, you're you're just rolling the dice. So that's that's the what what so what we look for when we are when we're judging those various issues. Yeah, what is of concern, or what was of concern, uh, and actually still is uh, for me when it came to GMO labeling in back in May or June, early June, Secretary Clinton took a donation both from the organic community towards her campaign as well as the uh, biotech community in the same week. Mm-hmm. And it leaves me as a voter a little bit speechless how one can do both or more so completely in the dark of where you know where the emphasis will will actually play out after the election. Yeah, do you I, I, do you follow the money stream at all? Do you look at corporate involvement in campaigns on we, on all we four tend sides? To look at that more on the congressional level, uh, where the Koch brothers, for instance, which is a, a major conservative uh, political organization, give their money. Because uh, you can sometimes tell in a presidential election, the, the number of donors and the number of interests are so vast that you're going to end up having people getting checks from all over the place. And if there's one that stands out, they may make a decision based on ideological considerations that you're suggesting. But for the most part, um, there, there is. I mean, there. These are hundreds of millions of dollars, tens of millions of contributions. So, unless you see a distinct pattern, it's a little bit hard to extrapolate. So, we we haven't done that work. And nothing specific on GMO labeling on on any candidates' platform. And uh, I'm not aware of it, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. In the last presidential debate, we heard a little bit about renewable energy. How about between those four candidates, if you can, on renewable energies, on non-renewable energies? What's their take and policy? Uh, sure. Well, you heard Donald Trump dismiss the idea. He sort of offhandedly will say wind and solar are fine, but he wants to bring back coal strongly. Uh, he is all for non-renewable energy uh, because he claims it creates more jobs. It's not true. One of the fastest growing sectors in the American economy is solar jobs. There's now far more solar jobs than coal mining jobs in America. But he is trying to win votes in places like West Virginia and Ohio, so he'll say that. Secretary Clinton has a, has a very ambitious solar program. She's all in on renewable energy. That's been one of her cornerstones. And one of the things we were heartened about was at the beginning of the first debate, I think it was about 10 minutes in maybe, she attacked him based on climate change and renewable energy. In other words, she, as a political strategy, saw those issues as more very popular, which hasn't always been true in the past, and as a way of winning votes, which is a signal of the strength of this climate change and uh, renewable energy movement. Gary Johnson is, is a completely free market approach. In other words, uh, if renewable energy can make it in the market, uh, that's fine, but he's not going to help it against Uh, dirtier energy that sort of ignores the fact that companies are getting to put their pollution in the air for free and shifting the cost to taxpayers. So it's a it's an inherent market failure. And Jill Stein is for renewable energy, but again, she's not going to win. 
Uh, and so we, when, when you're looking between the candidates that have a shot at, you know, controlling this power in the Oval Office, uh, there's really a huge contrast between Trump and Clinton. Yes, and directly connected, of course, is the topic of pipelines uh, yep. that has been going on, uh, and of course fracking too. But in the ter in terms of pipelines, uh, which has become a, a very popular topic, that, which is great to bring it yep. into focus. Keystone, of course, leading the way, perhaps finally. What's their What's their take, and how much is that actually a topic? It has been a little bit, but not not an enormous amount. Clinton was against the Keystone Pipeline. She uh, supported President Obama's decision not to approve it. Uh, Trump was for it. And uh, I think there, there's, it's hard to extrapolate from that to other, to, you know, other pipelines like Dakota uh, because you, there are a lot of, it's a little bit of a different situation because the first one required presidential approval because it crossed the international boundary. Mm -hmm. The second one uh, it has more sort of mundane approvals required although uh you know and, and our view is that you we need to respect the people on the land there particularly the native american tribes and their rights we need to make sure that anything that's done is done in concert with what's best environmental practices uh and clearly some of these pipelines are not in concert with best environmental practices so um You haven't seen it come up a lot in the presidential election, but the you know the one issue where where there's a divide, you see that on Keystone, um, and uh, you know hopefully you know one of the great things about the Keystone issue is how it motivated so many environmentalists and so many regular Americans uh, in the path of the pipeline, and that activism is something we hope will be turned towards uh, building support for bold action on climate change. We had uh, great progress in the Paris Agreement and with. President Obama's clean power plan, but those are those are big first steps. But not, nonetheless, they're first steps, and we need to, you know, we need, Congress finally needs to take responsibility and and do take a, a bold step and figure this out. We're speaking and with. Hope, go yeah, ahead. No, go ahead. Finish. Well, I'm just hopefully the energy that was that was that was created in the Keystone fight can be turned to this uh, to this question now. We're speaking with Keith Gaby, Senior Communications Director, Climate, Health and Political Affairs, Environmental Defense Fund Action. That's edfaction.org. He's joining us from Arlington, Virginia, in this hour of an organic conversation of focuses the 2016 presidential election voting for the environment. We heard nearly nothing close to real conversation on the concern of leadership for the environment. And today we are shedding light on what the candidates are promising or have in their platform or have expressed, because most of us cannot stay on top of each senator or, in this case, presidential nominee. Talking about the existing government, what is your, your um, scorecard, so to say, on the Obama administration, since we have you on the line now ending? What's their environmental leadership rating for you? Well, we don't give a, a specific rating, but I can tell you... Um, what has worked and what, what really didn't. The president's environmental record has been very strong. There were, you know, Part of our job is always to push them. And, for instance, in the first term, we fought very hard to get Congress to pass a comprehensive climate bill, which didn't pass. It died in the Senate after passing the House. And environmentalists were disappointed uh, in Congress at that. But you, particularly in the second term, the president... Uh, 
put forth the Clean Power Plan, which finally put uh, limits on carbon pollution from our largest source, which was the uh, power plant. There's There are new rules on cars that raise uh, mileage to 55 miles per gallon and put uh, greenhouse gas limits on them. There was an enormous investment in renewable energy and solar energy, wind energy, and the original stimulus package, if you remember back in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, he's done, and he's done the same thing on trucks, heavy trucks, protected marine sanctuaries. I mean, it's been an, been an enormously impressive environmental record. But I think he'll be the first to tell you that it is nowhere near enough for the long term. He did everything he could with executive power, uh, but he reached the limit of that more um, probably. I think I think people will continue to look for new ways to use executive power, but it's time for Congress to, to do its part because they really haven't, except on a very few issues. And we look forward to the you know a new administration, a new Congress putting climate change at the top of the agenda because it's it's hard to think of an issue, maybe nuclear weapons, um, that are that is more important more to the future of this country and to the to the to the earth that we are borrowing from our children, as you said. How will you do that? How and how can people help? How can we make the environment a greater topic for the leadership ongoingly, no matter mm-hmm. who will win the election? Now well, far beyond. You, number one, you, number one, you have to vote. Vote for, uh, figure out uh, how your vote can have the biggest impact. The candidate who can get elected, who can go to Washington and do something, and let them know that the reason you're voting for them is because they, of their stand on climate change and other environmental issues. How how do you let them know? You you send them an email. You write them a letter. Uh, you visit their their district office. You call them. Um, You, you can look up your member of Congress or your senators on uh, online and, and, and just let them know you're, you're voting for them because you expect them to uh, take action on climate change. You expect them to take action on whatever environmental issues are important to you. Um, and, you know, when they hear that, we show them polls all the time. We'll, we'll conduct a poll and show them that, that uh, you know, action on climate change or solar energy is very popular. And that has some effect. They, they like that. But when they hear it from real people, um, because they certainly have real people on the other side yelling at them, lobbyists coming in and telling them to do otherwise. Um, when they hear it from real voters, it, it makes a difference, and uh, it changes their priorities. You, you won't, you won't mm-hmm. change someone from being anti-environment to pro-environment. All you can do is vote them out. But if you have a pro-environment person who's trying to decide whether to prioritize one or another issue, and they know that their constituents have been coming to them and saying, The environment is what we care about. That's what they're going to focus on. They're political animals, and they'll respond to voters. And and what do you f- focus on to make environmental leadership uh, a, a bigger, much bigger topic? Well, that's a good question. We uh, we have been running a campaign to try to pressure the debate moderators to ask a question about climate change that hasn't happened yet. Uh, Hillary Clinton brought it up twice, but that was. Um, I think I think uh, Senator Kane also brought it up, but that was because they, as a matter of political strategy, chose to do that. They, it wasn't because they were asked. And as you've sort of referenced, given the some of the tawdry topics that have been asked by the moderators, um, I think you know it's sort of amazing that they haven't gotten to talking about climate change, which is a serious issue. Um, and we need to know, you know, we, American people need to hear where the candidates stand. One of the one of the shocking things I saw in a poll was that 40% of millennials, people under 35, 
didn't know there was a difference between the two major candidates on climate change. Couldn't be starker. One says, Trump says it's a hoax. Clinton says it's a serious problem we need to fix. And yet, uh, these, you know, 40% of millennials think there's no difference between them. Now that's, you know, partially an individual's responsibility to go out and find out, look at their websites, and figure out the answers. But the media needs to take part of that blame if there's no questions on the topic at the debates where where all these people are watching, then it's going to be hard for the public to uh, to get informed. Form an opinion, yeah. So when you say you, you're trying to change the format these debates are happening, uh, I do think, again, this is clearly our responsibility. Uh, if we had some rules of engagement, if we asked the, the candidates not to mention the other person at all, Uh, some somehow how to regulate this kind of bully fighting through a new new form of how these debates, which are important. How do you do that? You ask CNN to consider an environmental question directly. Right. Well, uh, it's not so much about the format as about the the content. We we've run lots of online ads. We actually tried to run them on the websites of the organizations that were sponsoring mm -hmm. the debate. So when mm -hmm. it was NBC, we did it on the NBC site. When it was CNN, we did it on the CNN site, and we also ran asked our members to send them the uh, the moderators, Lester Holt in the first instance, emails saying, please, you know, sure. uh, I've got kids and I need to hear where the candidates stand on the environment, on climate change. Um, and I'm sure he was being bombarded with every interest group who wanted their question answered. Sure. But it's, it's, it seems to me that, that climate change is a big enough issue that it should make the list of questions um, answer. It shouldn't be the only question. We're not saying they're not other important topics. Immigration, uh, police brutality, uh, nuclear weapons, sure. war, peace. These are these are all really important topics, but so is climate change. And it deserves a place at the debate table. And how can people support not just that process, but you and your organization directly? Does it matter if you represent a million people? Do you even work with those numbers uh, when you approach candidates? We do. Or? I mean, When we go in and say that EDF has a million and a half members, or we or we talk about EDF actions uh, supporters, uh, that has an impact, you, you know. Uh, and so, it'd be great if people would go to either edfaction.org or edf.org. I think edf.org has a way to sign up and get you'll get informational emails from us, and you can sort of watch them and begin to judge what kind of organization we are. And if you decide to support us, that would be great. Um, and uh, and be, be part of trying to solve this. If somebody has a party that they usually vote for, but they don't agree with the candidate's view on the environment, uh, whichever side you would be taking here, mm -hmm. what's your advice for somebody who, who thinks strongly about the environment, but for some reason can't vote for one particular person? Right, right. That's a... It's a very tough question. We have uh, uh, someone I know is a is a pro environment Republican. He's a very progressive guy, uh, and for on a Senate reasons, Senate level. Uh, no, I'm talking about just a citizen, mm -hmm. a guy I know who works in politics. Uh -huh. He's been a lifelong Republican, um, but he very strongly feels we need to do something about climate change. So how does he square that when when the choices he's often offered are um, are people who don't take the issue seriously? So. What he's done is work very hard on behalf of the, the Republicans that he finds who are supportive of climate action. There's a you know congressman in Florida named Carlos Carbello uh, who's taken action on climate change. There's a congressman in New York 
uh, Chris Gibson, a Republican who's taken action on climate change. So uh, he might not be your congressman, uh, but it's you know pe- you know if you can support and try to nurture the people in in your party who are doing the right thing, that shows others that there are supporters out there who want that there's an appetite for this, who want more of it, um, and that that's the way you nurture it. It's a um, it's not an easy thing, I'm sure. I mean, I uh, I fortunately vote for people who tend to agree with me on both the environment and on other issues, but I don't. Uh, I understand it's a, it's a tough challenge for those who have that dilemma. And it's fascinating for me again, coming from Germany. We have you know four or five or six parties. As soon as you reach five percent, you're in. The yeah. idea of a two-party system entirely far removed from actual ideologies or far removed from actual political stance when it comes to all these topics that you just mentioned, even yeah. beyond the environment, is is kind of fascinating. And what I'm hearing is you saying kind of going beyond that and really supporting the individual and what they stand for, kind of no matter what party they're representing. Is that well, yeah, that, that, a fair that's summary? important. You need to know, I mean, there are, there are good people in both parties and you need to find, you know, search them out. Um, and the, the way the American political system tends to work is that when an issue comes up, even a whole third party comes up and it gets popular, one of the two parties will kind of absorb that idea and yeah. become representative of it. And so over time, the Republicans have become the conservative party and the Democrats have become the progressive party. Uh, and so they will they will bring into the fold, they're, they're big coalitions, basically. In Europe, the, the coalitions are separate parties, and when they're elected, they get together in government and they... They form a, a coalition government. In the United States, the parties themselves do that, have that function. So within yeah. the Republican Party, you have the the anti-abortion people and the free market people and the social conservatives and the you know all, you know the, some less savory folks that Trump represents, and that all becomes a, essentially a coalition party under one name. And Democrats, you have uh, lots of different. Uh, voices too that may not always agree on every issue, but they they coalesce under the Democratic Party, and um, and that's that's just the way the system has grown up here. We're speaking with Keith Gaby, Senior Communications Director for the Environmental Defense Fund Action. Keith, we're almost out of time. Great conversation. Thank you for making time to be on this program. And uh, you, as a father of two. Uh, how do you stay hopeful in your work every day? Well, you know, uh, actually, I think uh, the world has gotten a lot better. I mean, w- w- because of social media and 24-hour cable news, we're constantly seeing these negative things. Every time there's something terrible happening in the world, we, we it's blasted on TV or shared on Facebook, and we see it. But if you look at child mortality, extreme poverty, crime, environmental issues, everything, well, Let me take that back. Not everything. An enormous number of things are headed in the right direction. It's a more literate world. There's a world with less poverty, less hunger, uh, more renewable energy, uh, all sorts of good things. Women are getting a greater share of of both the economic and social uh, piece of society. So far to go in that area, but much better than it was. Um, So there's all these hopeful signs about things going in the right direction. So when you are faced with some of the things that are not are not going in the right direction, or some of the things that are still terrible, or you look at Aleppo, or you look at a, uh, uh, the situation in Haiti at the moment after the hurricane, and you really feel despair, I think you can look at the trend of society and say, 
you know, things get better over time, and my generation's responsibility is to leave a better place for the, my kids, and then they will leave a better place for my grandkids, and over time, uh, we're moving in the right direction. So the hopeful is the big picture. Uh, sometimes the little picture gets a little dispiriting, and, and hopefully after November 8th, I think it is, right about Election Day, uh, we'll all feel a little bit better about how things are going. And the world is better because of your work. Thank you. Thanks again for Thank joining you. us. Thank you what you do. And uh, again, if you are interested in learning more and staying more involved, please go to Environmental Defense Fund or Environmental Defense Fund Action and become a member or support the great work in any way you can. Thank you, Keith. We'll have you back after the election, I hope. Thank you very much. That'd be great. Talk to you soon. Take care. This is An Organic Conversation. I'm Helge Helberg, and that was our hour on the 2016 presidential election voting for the environment in this confusing and embarrassing dialogue, if it's that. This year, in the pre-election time, we wanted to shed light on the environmental stance and the candidate's idea on environmental leadership. We heard from Keith Gaby, Senior Communications Director for the Environmental Defense Fund Action. Again, the website is edfaction.org. Switching from environment or moving on from environment to sustainable agriculture, here is the update from the world of organic produce, healthy fruits and vegetables. Here is what's in season. And with me, as always, is Earl Herrick, and actually not on the phone, in flesh. Yes. Nice. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> Welcome to right the studio, here. and that's Earl Herrick of Earl's Organic Produce, the voice of the San Francisco produce market, Mr. Organic. Hey, Helga. Earl, what's happening? Well, it's a great time of year again. We have these big changes that happen. We're right on the threshold of the of the summer fall. As summer is fading, just like the our daylight, days are shorter, uh, evenings are longer. You're getting those. I know in California here, we're getting these. What, I get I get deceived. I wake up in the morning and it's chilly, so I put on clothes. And by noon and one o'clock, it's it's short times. Short, you know, wearing shorts again. Seventy five, eighty degrees. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah it's, it's I keep on forgetting this. What happens? So with this uh, is kind of your last great uh, gasp for some real local produce because um, it's fading. So got to be aware of, of what you're going to be buying because it's not going to be the taste and the flavor that you're going to experience in July. And I'm talking about berries and melons, uh, tomatoes. There are some things that are really have, have just finished like figs. Which, so, is, which is so interesting that the Yeah, obviously the produce follows the light and the light is clearly changing. It's darker now in the morning. Mm. And so that's, you know, summer is done, fall is here. And yet if you look at the grocery store produce aisle, it hasn't really all that changed. There might be a couple of new items that mm -hmm. announce fall, pears and apples come to mind, but you still see melons. Yeah, now those melons, definitely you're going to find, and, and occasionally if they're very specific to your region, they could really be dynamite. But again, with those shorter days, the less sunshine, the less heat, 
which really develops that sugar, they're not going to be as flavorful. So watch out. Maybe that's the time you don't eat them just straight. Maybe eat them in a salad with other fruits. Maybe you put them in uh, or, or with the vegetable salad. So don't be so don't be discouraged because there are are the other fall items persimmons pomegranates in particular and and the satsumas are just on the threshold of coming out and then that's the advent of the whole citrus season that's going to be very vibrant all the way through the all the way through the winter and that's fruit um, on the vegetable side of course uh, dark leafy green vegetables are just coming in and that, and that and that can remain local for a long long time what you'll just see is your production down in other words in the in the summer Uh, we're seeing pallets and pallets of greens. Now it's going to slow down in a farm that would be getting, you know, mm -hmm. hundreds of cases. Now is going to have a, a, a portion, a quarter of that production. Which means a little bit more expensive. Going to be more expensive. Quality is going to be very, very good because it's not going to have that uh, that stress of the heat. But it just won't. So the volume's a little, for, a little down. The quality's up. The price is up. Uh, and this is a great time to enjoy those those leafy greens because they have that they start getting that chill of the night on them, and that's when you get a little the starch will turn to sugar. So, from a consumer perspective, how do you navigate? I mean, clearly, summer items are still there on their last breath. You got to try them because otherwise, you might spend still six bucks, eight bucks on a on a whole melon mm -hmm. and you bring it home and it's just not it's not there anymore yeah so you might some stores might take it back but with produce it's kind of tricky often so you want to even cut into a melon i guess and yeah, try it, it at the grocery store if you can yeah if yeah uh i would i would do that if you can get away with it uh i would i would tend to nav to migrate away from melons their time is over or any summer produce yeah any yeah any you know the berries you can mix with other fruit and it'll be okay the uh, what is exciting are the more and more varieties of apples are coming out now and you still get a good a good uh selection of pears uh and and I just had a, a new apple, gosh, a couple of weeks ago, and I'm not going to be able to remember the yeah, name. Yeah, me too, and I, I don't remember the name either. <laughs> Never seen. That I know that we're name. seeing was... these are club apples that are very proprietary, and only a couple people have them. Fascinating. Yeah, one's called a jazz. One's, I think, a kanzu. It's it, it, and they're they're very interesting. So those are good things to be to be trying. Uh, tomatoes. They're not going to be so fantastic as they were a month or so ago, but but uh, the hot the hot the hoop production is coming out now, and they're under hoops because with that shortened day, they can't get quite the production. So under that, so it's not hot house yet, but it's a yeah it's in a, the it's transition. A, yeah, it's a hoop though, so uh -huh. it, it's yeah, not completely right. yeah completely uh, controlled, but it does. Uh, grab the heat, make the day a little longer, still create a good good tomato. So right now, for consumer, we are not just in the clear transition from summer to fall and winter produce. You also talk about the shoulders mm, always, yeah. that within an item, mm -hmm. there's an early, you know, an early harvest, then there's the peak kind of, and then there's the fade out. You can yeah. still always find good, mm -hmm. for, for several aspects, good produce, even if it's on the early side of the shoulder. But that right now, somebody would need to navigate the seasonality and the seasonal change and the shoulder of each individual item in addition, right? You mentioned figs. Yeah, exactly. So on a shoulder of the ending shoulder would be a fig. 
um, and berries. The beginning shoulder would be a satsuma and, and navels. Which we will have for three, four months. Exactly. So many growers try to hit those shoulders because the production is, the supply is tighter because it's just emerging, so the prices are going to be higher. So for a grower to really make it, be successful, get the revenue they need to survive, they got to get that that higher that higher ticket at some point they got to get more for their mu- for their product because in the middle of the season it's flooded and they're really getting paid uh, lower than the production of the fruit which is great to know that if a store shows something like you know a niche whatever it may be blueberries you know for two more three more weeks mm-hmm. from one grower uh, and that's a, a, a pricey item that that money goes actually to the farmer, even though, yeah. you know, there's a wholesaler, you need to make money to run your operation. There's a retailer, they add Certainly. money to it. But that price is not just the retailer hiking up the the price. It's actually well, the, the farmer saying, I can make more money. I want to make more money. I need to make more money. Well, very specifically, we deal with a blueberry grower down in Lompoc. And her, her whole strategy is to hit the shoulders of the market. And that means for her, she's come, she comes in in January, February, well, excuse me, February, March, April. And the blueberry season really starts in May and June. She wants to be out. And then she comes in again at the end of the season, September, October, November. Now, the the challenge and the risk of those shoulders is the weather. Sure. You know, she, she can might get, lose it all. Exactly. She can knocked out by rain or, or a cold snap at any point. But the advantage is she gets top dollar. And so it means always that a we pay it, we, we support the farmer. It, that's why I try to say that the yes. higher price doesn't go to the retail store necessarily. Precisely. It's, it supports yes, she, farmers yeah. who, you know, ride the shoulders because they need to. Yeah. And so it's really about getting your mind around that too, rather than going, well, they're gouging me. Well, you're, you're having an opportunity to have something that is unique and also knowing that this goes toward her banking uh the money, the the creating a reserve that allows her to do what she does yeah. in, the, in the summer. And going through the winter without any production. Most exactly. Of the time. Yep. Beautiful. Okay. So right now, repeat what is coming in. That's always exciting. Yeah. The, the is Satsuma is really is, is, is coming in right now, next week, more volume in the week after persimmons and, and, uh, pomegranates for sure and then all the leafy greens though you've seen them all summer this is when they really shine and also all the root uh, beets and turnips and parsnips and carrots you'll get your sweetest carrots of the year uh, uh, all through the uh, fall now and the kale all that is now different than in july and august yeah kale collards mustard greens yeah they're vibrant the the greens are really deep and really high in chlorophyll love it Great. <laughs> yeah. I believe you. I can feel it. Thank you. That's Earl Herrick, earlsorganic.com, the website, of course, for seasonal produce tips throughout the week. Check it out. Thanks for coming in, Earl. My I'll pleasure. Back next Thank week. Thank you, Helga. Take care. Bye. Bye now. That was a packed hour of the 2016 presidential election, voting for the environment, and the update from the produce doc. That all is an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. Hope you enjoyed listening and we'll be back next week with another episode. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. And that was this week's edition of An Organic Conversation. Thanks for listening. A big thank you to our associate producer, 
Kristen Ponger. An organic conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? Anyone can buy directly from Earl's Organic at wholesale prices. The website is earlsorganic.com. And also Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine without synthetic sulfites or other preservatives. Family owned and operated since 1980. Fry Vineyards, Mendocino County award-winning wines. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to anorganicconversation.com or subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play so you'll never miss an episode. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, find us on Facebook and Instagram at anorganicconversation. And our Twitter handle is talkorganic. I'm Helge Helberg, and we'll be back with another great episode right here. Same place, same time next week. See you then.